Thanks so much for joining me. Lincoln Steed is my guest today. Originally from Australia, although he's been in the United States for many years, he has had a long and, I would say, illustrious career in ministry, especially in publishing. He is the editor of a long-standing of an historic magazine called Liberty. Thanks for joining us. This is our conversation. Lincoln, thanks so much. I, I, I really appreciate you taking this time. It's my pleasure to be on the program. Let's start not at the beginning. We'll start with what you're doing now. We'll talk about liberty. We'll talk about you a little bit, what you've done, where you've been, what are you doing. And then we want to talk about religious liberty. Absolutely. Yeah, so tell me about Liberty Magazine. Well, Liberty Magazine, as you said, is a long-running magazine. It was uh, published under its present name in 1906 in so the shadow of the Capitol. And I was telling you beforehand... Uh, there's a park next to the Capitol now, but there was a row of buildings then, that park area, oh, just a few yards from the Capitol uh, back in 1906, and in a property owned by George Washington's family, Liberty Magazine was, began its publishing uh, work, and of course it was a small beginning, but t- today we print somewhere between 165 and 185,000 every issue. That's a lot. And that- it mostly goes to politicians, Lawyers, judges, mayors, we say the thought leaders. Although I'm troubled by that because in my view, anyone that reads Liberty is a thought leader. Sure. Let me talk about that. We we were filming an It Is Written television program in in a courthouse, at least in part, and the judge said, hey, you guys, you're you're those Liberty Magazine people. I love Liberty Magazine. Are you getting feedback? It goes to these people. What sort of feedback are you getting? Oh, I get good feedback. You know, no editor gets thousands and thousands of letters, but I can guarantee any uh, uh, issue, there will be somebody right back. The other day, there was a uh, gentleman from Salt Lake said that he'd worked on the, the staff of uh, a Utah senator. Well, he didn't name them, but I could guess who it was. And he said, I read every issue religiously. And he says, but your editorials, he says, they're hitting the spot. He says, I find them, he said, more valuable than that of our prophet. <laughs> oh, how interesting is that? Well, that, that puts you in elevated company. Yeah. Prophets come and prophets go. Yeah, I don't believe sure do. in every prophet, but exactly. <laughs> to be put on that level. And I, I uh, also told you that fairly recently after a, an editorial on the uh, Kavanaugh uh, confirmation, I got a letter from a couple of judges, but one of them from Philadelphia said that you know, she hardly could deal with uh, the, the, the horrors that she saw in the courtroom day in, day out. And then she says, and I picked up Liberty Magazine, I read your editorial, and she says, it gives me hope. Yeah, that's And fantastic. that's what I want to do, not yeah. just that they like how I write it. Yeah. And, and I, as you would expect, I'm a Seventh Heavenist. That's the bottom line of why I'm doing it. Religious liberty is something I fervently believe in. But I try to communicate our worldview. And I had put in there a, a view of revelation and fulfilled prophecy and the nearness of the Lord's coming. Yeah, and that really spoke to her heart. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about religious liberty, where you see it being and where you see it going. But I do want to talk a little more about liberty. So for someone who's uninitiated, what's, what does Liberty Magazine do? You pick up an issue, what's it about and why? Well, it's like all magazines, it's sort of a, a plateful of different offerings. But the guiding principle has to be that we are defending religious liberty. And in Liberty Magazine, we come at it from a, a historic, constitutional, uh, philosophical and at root, a very basic religious biblical basis. So whose religious liberty are you defending? You said you're a Seventh-day Adventist. All right, so you're defending 
the religious liberty of Seventh-day Adventists. Is that what this is all no. about? No. Well, why would you? So who's, who's religious In liberty fact, are you, are you uh, we, we are quite sure of the 180,000 or so that we send out that only about 10,000, 14 at the most, go directly to Seventh-day Adventists. This is not for Adventists, but I wish all Adventists were reading it because it represents what they officially hold. Yeah. And we believe that religious liberty is, is the gift of God to all human beings. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. Why should you care about the religious liberty of a Mormon because you're not one or of a Catholic because you're not one? Or why should you care about the religious liberty of a Baptist well, or a Jew? Let me say, you can let me answer that on several this. levels. First of all, if you uh, only guard your own religious liberty, what about the other person? And in their view, they think they're right, just as you think you're right. And, and if someone else can be discriminated and restricted in their practice of religion, it might not be a long trip till yours is restricted. Sure. So there's a little self-interest. But beyond that, it's the principle in Eden where God created uh, Adam and Eve and gave them the power of choice. And they happened to choose wrong at that point. Uh, so we're free moral agents. And to, de- to deny that right in other people to choose their, their destiny and to seek toward God where he may be found and, and uh, a seeker, may not find him first time around, but if we make it free, free inquiry, they will come to him. Are you concerned uh, about the religious liberty of non-Christians, Jews, Hindus, Muslims? Absolutely. We have to too. defend everybody. And you were going to ask about where we are now. I can tell you in a nutshell where we are now in the United States. It's religious entitlement, which is a tunnel vision of religious liberty. There is much talk about religious liberty at the moment, and it's good talk. But in put into practice, it's, it's uh, special prerogatives for a particular religious viewpoint. Very little concern for those on the periphery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to get to that first. So we've talked about liberty. Started in 1906, existed yeah. in another form, even going back further, 1880, thereabouts. Yeah. So that's a that's long That's when Seventh-day Adventists, uh, who already had a deep theological understanding of liberty, and, and ultimately, as Paul says, the gospel of liberty is the gospel. We're liberated from the power of sin. Sure. And as Christ said, I set before you an open door that no man can shut. You're right. That's right. Uh, absolutely. So we are free. Liberty Magazine can't get or keep your religious liberty. You have it inherently, but we can uh, make it more difficult or ease the difficulties by what we do or don't do yeah. about spreading that story. But liberty you have. And that's what we're trying to explain to, uh, to our readers, that this is a God-given right, a God-given status. Uh, uh, as a human being to start with, you have a right to exercise your, your choice. And as someone that's accepted God, you have absolute freedom in Christ. What do you think it says about a church, about a denomination that would sponsor or facilitate the production of a magazine like this? There may be others. Are there others? Does the, does the church of Church of Christ or the Church of God or the Nazarenes, do they have any, anything no, like generally, this? Generally, the, the, there is a Baptist publication, but it doesn't represent all of the Baptists, certainly not the Southern Baptists. Okay. Although I, I shouldn't cut them uh, t- uh, you know, too much criticism because the Southern Baptists are concerned with religious liberty because many years ago, Baptists, Methodists, and then rising out of that context, Adventists, religious liberty was central. But at this late point, many in the Southern Baptists are, are sort of looking toward political power to gain sure, that's true. Uh, you know, a religious entitlement. Uh, so there's elements of the Baptists. There are certainly uh, civil rights, civil liberties groups that are, that are arguing for religious liberty, but not too many churches. What they instead want is a right for their own practice. Right. 
and here with seven now, Adventists, you're fighting for all. The world is turning and tumbling in ways that are disorienting for many people. And one of the strongest voices, at least in saying they believe in separation of church and state, which is a linchpin concept on religious liberty in the United States, one of the strongest voices, amazingly, is the Roman Catholic Church. By and large, the Protestants do not believe in separation. I've been to many meetings where they spit it out and they say, not in the Constitution. And I remember Bill Bright, who's long gone now, a Campus Crusade yeah. founder. I saw him on television and with the oxygen up his nose, he was in desperate straits. And he looked at the camera and he said, separation of church and state is a satanic concept. Have that's mercy. How, he said that? Yes, that's how far they've come. Now, yeah. the Catholics speak well of it, but it's on their own terms. And I don't believe they mean badly on it because there's a refreshing breeze throwing through, uh, uh, blowing through Roman Catholicism at the moment. People are being encouraged to study their Bibles and yeah. think independently. Uh, but, but the Roman Catholicism uh, or Roman Catholic view is separation uh, or a subsidiarity. There is the state and there is the church, but the state is subsidiary to the church. Well, that's been their view forever. Well, of course, but they stated as a separationist view. They're separate, but since one is subsidiary to the other, if there's ever a conflict, then you call uh, seniority on, on the state. That sounds a whole lot like feathering one's own nest. Well, and that's why I'm explaining it. I think it's a yourself. flawed view, but to give them their credit, they at least acknowledge the constitutional mandate in the First Amendment that says Congress shall make no law yeah. establishing uh, religion, nor prevent the free exercise. That's, that's a hands-off approach, yeah. which we are not quite in now. Okay, I want to talk to you about some of these things, but before we go too much further, I want to talk to you about you. Anyone listening right now notices you have a fabulous accent. <laughs> it's almost perfect, but, but you, you, you were born on the western side of the Tasman Sea rather than the eastern side, so it's not quite perfect. And I was born in the deep south, as yep. I tell you, people. you got a southern accent, yeah. a little bit in like fact, mine. In fact, I was born in the far west. I was born in western Australia, well, yeah, Perth. Perth. Uh, but my family moved very quickly to Sydney, and, and uh, uh, I'm a fourth-generation Seventh-day Adventist, and my father, from the earliest days, was at the division, our headquarters in, in, for the whole South Pacific. Yep. He was uh, a public relations, temperance, and... Uh, he was an illustrious character. Tell me something about your dad. Well, he was the first person uh, down in Australia, and I think in, in, the, in the Adventist world, to be on the television and in the newspapers. The very first? Yeah. In fact, there's a story that uh, he told me once, but some of his peers since he died have told me uh, that uh, way back in, in the post-World War days when I was just barely alive, <laughs> I don't remember World War II. I'm older than I thought I would be, but not that old. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, he and a friend went to a, a public event at the town hall, the Prime Minister Menzies. Oh, he was really? a, a yeah. historic figure in Australia. Sure. He was sort of like Roosevelt to Australia. That's right. Uh, Menzies was there at a public event and as the whole procession came in and, and, and my father with his friend behind the rope barricade were watching, the Prime Minister came and behind him the media and one of the reporters called out to my father. He says, Steve, what are you doing on that side of the ropes? He says, join us, come with us. So dad jumped the, the rope, which he was inclined to do that and disappeared into the event with all the dignitaries and my friend, his friend uh, had to wait and wait and late that evening... Uh, the, the journalists, my father and the Prime Minister came out, all of them with their arms around each other's shoulders. <laughs> now, that's what my father was like. He, he took every opportunity. <laughs> and it may have made me a little more retiring because when your father is sort of... 
Yeah. You know, you fall back a bit. But I know that they were exciting days. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he, so I grew up in that, that context. And, and I, I remember, uh, for example, even in our home, uh, for several weeks, we had all the Gutenberg and other early Bibles in our, uh, in our home because he ran a contest in Sydney for the oldest Bible. Oh, wow. And that, that really opened my mind, looking through those old Bibles with the woodcuts. Sure. And I remember being really taken by one woodcut cut of uh, Ezekiel's wheel. Oh, sure. And it looked like a spaceship to me. Yeah. <laughs> so and I'm not saying that God is a space traveler in, in the science fiction sense, but the, the, the intimations of modernity that they saw back yeah. in those days were amazing. But to see these, these invaluable Bibles... And then my father organized the best Saturday night in town uh, where the Adventist church organized a youth rally for the whole community every uh, once a month, I think it was, in the town hall. And it was packed. In what town? What town was it? Sydney. In Sydney. Sydney town hall, yeah. Wow. So all this was in the, uh, the 50s and uh, up till, yeah, basically the 50s. So were you always going to be a church worker? Uh, <laughs> I was always expected to be. Oh, you were? And I can remember... Uh, uh, all, even back then, a lot of our world church leaders would come visiting and Dad would show them around and they and others, they'd pat me on the head. Yeah. So you're going to be a temperance leader or whatever like your father or a pastor like your father. And I'd think anything but, anything yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So did, I, I did, really, you, did your dad make it clear that was his expectation of you? No, no. Just the others? No. And in fact, even when he retired, he was assistant to uh, President Wilson for, uh, carrying on what was left of the temperance department. And Wilson sat him down one day when he was talking about retirement. He says, no, I guess your son's going to take over from you. And he says, oh, no, I don't think Lincoln would want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, my, my, my son gets asked the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be a preacher like your dad? My yeah. son just loves it. He'll look at people and smile and say, yeah. no. No. And it's not that I had nothing against my father, but sure. I, I wanted to be myself. Yeah, do your own thing. And uh, I read a lot. And, and uh, I didn't like school, but I did well in school. And I, I wrote well. So I, I was sort of headed toward editing and, and writing and and yet, in a curious backdoor way, I've come back to what my father was doing because he told me what very few people in our church remember, that in the early days, the temperance department, which he headed at the General Conference, and the religious liberty department were one. They were the same department. That's fair. And on the principles, and old liberties, I've seen it. On the principles of religious liberty, there was sobriety and uh, Abstaining from alcohol was, was one of the principles of religious liberty. How interesting is that? So did you have a, did you have a, a career in, in secular writing, secular editing, or did you just dive no, straight in? No, I went straight church? into the church. Straight in. And that, that was, uh, well, it wasn't so much my view to be in the church, but we're all shaped by our experiences. And my father took us all around the world. It was the greatest gift he could yeah. have given us. Yeah. And I remember on one of our uh, returns to Australia, we did a world trip. And my father was an organiser, uh, the first degree, but he took us as guests of the government to Bulgaria under the communists. He, had, he was on first name terms with these people. And I remember being picked up at the airport in the limousine and all the banners and the pictures that you saw in the communist era. And we look at the guy next to us and he's the guy on the banners. And uh, dad made a comment and he says, oh, it's election time. So dad says, well, I wish you the best. And he says, don't worry. He says, no one's running against me. <laughs> So we went there, we went to Afghanistan, we went to Iran, Seventh-day Adventist camp meeting in Iran. I know there's Adventists in Iran. Uh, this was, of course, when the Shah was there. And, and, you know, we went from one place to the other. And, and 
But India was what changed my mind or affected my mind. Because Why is that? The overwhelming effect, and India's made great progress since, but it's still a massively uh, populated country sure. next to China. And the poverty was, is mind-numbing in spots. And we took a train from Amritsar to New Delhi across the heartland of yeah, India. I know that area well. Amritsar's yeah. in, in Punjab state. Right. Very and, close and, to where we headquarter our Eyes for India thing. Right. The, the Golden and, Temple is here. You went to the yeah, Golden Temple. We went temple. to the Golden Temple yeah. again. Magnificent. Barefoot through the streets. Sure. <laughs> paddling through what goodness knows what. But uh, I, I remember on the train when we woke up one morning, uh, look out, and as far as you could see in the fields, uh, maybe five COVID distance apart, five, six foot apart, people squatting down doing their morning business. Yeah. And, and then to see the beggars with twisted arms and all the rest. And, and to this day, it's, it's, I've struggled with it because your idea of what a human being is and the sure. individuality and the dignity of a person, it really overwhelmed me. Oh, yeah. And I, then I remembered uh, visiting our headquarters in New Delhi and hearing them say that they were short of workers because uh, many Indians with some get up and go were heading to Andrews or to uh, uh, Columbia Union College. There was a whole group of them there and good people. I can't critique them individually, but the net effect was sure. they were short of workers. And here I could see this crying need and it, it just impressed upon me that I had to go back to my country, to Australia. Now, you well know Australians don't want you back. <laughs> Uh, not, I mean, you know, in a gross sense, but sure. individually, of course, they're good people. But it was the idea at that time, you might go overseas and make your way, but you didn't come back. Sure. But I had this burden. And so as soon as I was married, and even before I was married, my wife knew I was returning. I asked the division president to go back. And I, innocent guy, I said, I'll do anything. <laughs> I just graduated with a master's from Andrews. And I really had no particular uh, task in mind. I just wanted to serve the church. Sure. And back. Yeah, that's outstanding. So that's really what influenced me. Yeah. And uh, even now when, when, I, when I travel, even in the US, I usually circle around and find out a whole place. It's easy to stay as at many of our church meetings, you'll be at some high, you know, palatial sort of a, of a compound often. And yet very often you go two blocks behind there and there's people sleeping in a in a, in a few blankets draped over a light post or support or something. Yeah, if they've got that. Yes. Yeah. There, there, there's clearly something going on in the US. There's a lot more homeless people uh, that, are, that, that are really a block or two from the main street, in, even in Portland, Oregon. You yeah. must have seen them. Sure there's whole stretches of them there along the freeway. Yeah. So well, there's a crying need in this world, and, and we have to do something about there it. There is a crying need. We're going to talk about what it is we can do. We'll talk about religious liberty and religious liberty issues. Right. We'll try to make a little bit of sense about where we are in the United States at the moment yeah. and where you see it going. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to that. My guest is Lincoln Steed. He is the editor of Liberty Magazine, which is a fabulous magazine. If you don't get it, I reckon you should. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Racism is a serious issue that challenges societies around the world. In the United States, racism has again come to the fore. Tensions have escalated. The Bible speaks directly to the question of racism. An unlikely New Testament story shows how God feels about racism and demonstrates that love and unity can be accomplished when the Holy Spirit is allowed to change hearts. Don't miss Jesus and Racism, 
and see that division is not inevitable and that unity is achievable through the power of the gospel. Jesus and Racism, addressing an important subject affecting today's world and offering hope through the Word of God. Don't miss Jesus and Racism, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations, where my guest is Lincoln Steed, who is the editor of Liberty Magazine. And Liberty Magazine is all about religious liberty. So, Lincoln, where are we with religious liberty? We'll talk about the United States. Yeah, we'll talk about the United States rather than the world. Let's take on something smaller and more manageable like the United States. There is a world. You and I know. New Zealand originally and I'm Australia. There's, 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 There's things beyond... The, the barriers of this country. Sure. And we've got to resist a little bit what uh, I, I remember uh, Thoreau in his Walden Pond, uh, a literature, literary great of the US. He said once, he says, you know, what does the great flapping ear of America care about what happens in England? Sure. Well, in reality, we should care. And the world is more interconnected than we imagine. But from prophecy and from many religious liberty events, the US like Rome in, in the height of the Roman Empire, this is the centre of where things happen. Yes, it is. And so it's not immaterial how the US goes. And, and while this was never a perfect country, you know, I think very highly of the US, it has a rather unique constitution. It does. Uh, that, that, that enshrines in a very formal and direct way basic freedoms and particularly the freedom of religion. Now, it's worth remembering the Soviet Union, by constitution, allowed freedom of religion. <laughs> How did that but, work out? Well, not very well, no. because it was sort of in your mind, but practice it and you see what happens. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> and bit their, like that And their whole now. philosophical base of communism, of course, was antithetical to religion. Sure. It was in competition. But the U.S. is, is, is a unique animal in that regard. And, and for much of its history, while there's been an ebb and flow, there's been an effort to sort of hew to those basic principles. But by my lights, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, where... From the 50s on, we were at pains in the U.S. to sort of posit ourselves as a Christian nation, not structurally, but societally. That's right. And uh, here we were the good people and so on. We were putting up Ten Commandment monuments, which were really not appropriate constitutionally, but they were designed to show we're Christian versus godless communism. And we would welcome anyone that was escaping this, this illiberal, unchristian sort of environment. With the collapse of the Berlin Wall... The mask was off and an increasing secularity of America revealed itself. We're not at pains anymore to prove that we are particularly Christian or that the Constitution is, is uh, so precious. Uh, you know, I'd love to do, in fact, before I retire, maybe I need to do it. Send people out and do a survey of the knowledge of the Constitution. It's almost gone. That's right. No, that's absolutely right. And, and you know, in Seventh-day Adventism, uh, we, we have a prophetic analysis of Revelation and, and Daniel explicated for our day and and there's the expectation that at some point the United States will, the word used was repudiate Mm -hmm. every principle of the Constitution. And I believe we're well into that process. Quick question, then I'll follow up on on what you just said. This this statement really, this country's never been a Christian nation. No. It it simply never has been. Almost every issue of liberty argues against that. Structurally, never. Yeah. Uh, and, And on purpose, not by default, they were religious in a generic Christian way. An amazing amount of the founding fathers were deists, mm-hmm. which is not a Christian in the form we recognize today. Right. They sort of, there wasn't evolution around. So they, they believe, yeah, there's a creator, a prime cause, a first mover. 
And then they sort of looked at the stars, but he's absent. He set things going and he's gone. Yeah. Well, that's not the Christianity we know today. They had that view, but even then, other than some, some uh, inadvertent symbolic overtones of, of uh, secret societies, which you see it on the dollar and all the rest, they didn't insert religion in the structure at all by design. Mm, and mm. I think that was the genius sure. of it. And there's many statements by the founding uh, uh, fathers. Madison, in particular, was very concerned about the separation of church and state. They believed that religion would be stronger for being left alone. Yeah. And if they aided one particular religion, it would turn around and persecute other factions. I, w- I want to ask you about this because someone is, is hearing you and saying, boy, th- these people who want to see the separation of church and state don't sound like Christians to me. And that's how some people think. Well, what we don't want to see is the separation of uh, society and religion. Mm-hmm. We, we would wish and pray that our society could turn back in, in, a, in a general way. You know, the Old Testament had the, the people getting religion and something galvanizing happened and they were ready for the sure. Lord's presence. So if the God's spirit could move within our community, wonderful. Why, though, don't we want the government tinkering with religion? Well, we, we, we don't have the Shekinah glory of God. We don't have the urine and the thummim. Urim and the Thummim to uh, identify what, what we want. So it'll be somebody who has a view of what God wants and you want them imposing that on the population. That's right. It almost is guaranteed to be a religious dictatorship. Sure. And we've seen that before in history. Oh, well, many, many times. And it doesn't work. We're fighting something well. like that now in the Middle East or the tendency toward that. Sure, no doubt That's about what, that. That's uh, what Islamic fundamentalism is. You can argue the nature of Islam a lot. I'm, I'm quite willing to argue that most Muslims... Uh, are not party to that radical form of it. But in its radical form, which picks up on the Quran, there is no separation of church and state, and the ruler has a, a, a commission to enforce the religion on the sure. people. We yeah. don't want that. No, in, no you in, don't want that in, in this country or in any country. No, 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 that's right. So now, uh, what do we see happening with religious liberty trends down here, some of us would say, in the latter days of Earth's history? What are you seeing here, here are the trends for religious liberty. Well, think about the trend. It's, it's, it's abundantly obvious that this once Protestant society is no longer dominantly Protestant. Uh, Senator Santorum, a wonderful human individual who ran for president uh, some time ago after a, term in the, a couple of terms in the Senate, he said publicly, it was printed on all the newspapers, that Protestantism is absent in America today. And was he bemoaning that? No, he was just stating it. I know that the Roman Catholic Church sees that, and it's not a sinister thing. As, as the self-proclaimed custodians of, of, of the Christian whole, they, they encourage their members to move into the breach. That's sure. why there are so many uh, Catholic uh, legislators and, and uh, people at all levels of government. Yes. It's not their problem. The Constitution actually encourages it. It says there's only two religious... Uh, sections in the Constitution relating to religion, that half of the First Amendment that I quoted, mm-hmm. and one other that says no religious test for public office. Right. It's no problem with a Catholic or a Jew or anyone else or a Muslim in these places, but it's very telling that so many Catholics have moved in and people of, a, of an overtly Protestant faith not so much to be seen anymore. Yeah. So, uh, but more than that, we've become a very godless, hedonistic self-satisfied, consumerist sort of a society, at least before COVID. <laughs> I mean, that's in the process of shifting things a little. Uh, so, so things have changed in ways that the framers couldn't have seen. And, and as I said before, the knowledge and even uh, 
deep understanding of what the Constitution was designed to accomplish is gone. Like we're, we're in the context of an election now. It's, it's probably uh, passed by the time this comes out. Sure. But the election or the last several elections have shown that most people think this is a majoritarian state. Read the Constitution. It was designed to diffuse majoritarian impulses. You, you, you're, you're moving quickly enough for me to have about eight questions to ask you right now. One of them I'll ask about that. There are people who want to see the Electoral College abolished. Well, then they want to change the Constitution, and they can, but it has to be done uh, through, through a, a general plebiscite, you know, two-thirds majority in, in Congress, then every state, or at least two-thirds, I think, of the states need to... Uh, but how smart would it be to abolish the Electoral College? Well, it will lead the way directly to what they saw in the old world, where a certain faction, either political or religious, will persecute the other has to be that way if you take away that representation I mean, which we have now. Just think of where we are at this moment as we record. There's public statements about jail and, and, and uh, uh, punishment for certain political enemies. That is not the thing of a, of a democratic representative government. Right. Uh, I, I, my wife's from Guatemala, Central America, and it used to be that the dictators, when they, they wouldn't lose power because they knew that if they uh, lost it, they would lose their life. And I remember the turn in Guatemala to, to now a democracy. The first shift was they sent the dictator home to his farm. So when you have punishment with political opposition, you know, Russia, the guy was poisoned because he's challenging the sure. leadership. Oh, yeah. But we're on our way to that. And, and religious liberty is a particular aspect of the Constitution, but it's been said many times. And I remember one political figure, Hillary Clinton, speaking at one of our dinners pointed it out, but it could have been a Republican. She said, you can pretty much tell the state of civil liberties in general by the state of religious liberty, or conversely. That's very interesting. Yeah. And you would have to be blind not to know that in the United States in the last several years, we've seen radical rethinking of constitutional norms. Yeah, give us some examples of that. Well, freedom of the press. The, the press is... The First Amendment... I quoted the religion one, but the other half of it is freedom of the press. You cannot have a functioning democracy without a, uh, a press that's free to comment and report on what the government's doing. But you're saying that it's not or is less no, so? they've been portrayed as enemies of the people. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And I'm not defending what they do. The press in the United States, you and I both know... Americans have been fed a pablum of news. You've got to go to BBC, BBC or somewhere or some else to get place. it. That's right. But when, when there's a conscious effort uh, to, to restrict the press, that's against the Constitution. But more importantly, it will lead to despotism. You see that as an attempt to restrict the press or is it someone calling the press out? Because, look, it well, doesn't matter where you are in this country is a on loaded what term. side. I, I don't know the inner thoughts of anyone uh, you know, in responsibility, but, but the but, net effect is that the press is being discredited and diminished and information is not available. What does the Bible say? My people perish for, for lack, lack of, of knowledge. knowledge. I think the press should be discredited. The news stopped being the news about 10 years ago. So now you've got Fox News over here, which is all conservative all the time. And no matter if President Trump did something despicable, they'd tell you how wonderful it was. And the other 98% of the news would be so far to the left or starting left and veering over into the right. I go left. to a lot of events in Washington and, and, and I know what's, not everything that's happening, but I see a phenomenon. Uh, 
many things, including the, the, the press outlets because of the computers. You know, the, the money's not in it as it used to be. Sure. And, and the news agencies have laid off reporters. Right. There's not... Uh, in fact, some of the news agencies gone out of business. So the internet has changed the way news right. is, is So delivered. there's not that many reporters. So I go to these events, and as you come in, there's a handout in the door as you arrive that tells you all that that, that, that committee or that, that legislator wants you to know. Sure. And then I read the newspaper. It's exactly the same. Yeah. To me, the problem of the press, not so much they're giving fake news, they've they're become the all-too-willing handmaidens of official bureaucracy. But that's, that's a, they're not that's questioning. A, that's a massive problem. When you've got a lot, it doesn't matter, again, whatever side of the aisle you're on, you've got the news that they're, they're apologists and cheerleaders for political parties now. Well, that's, that's a another terrible thing. place and, for and, us to be. You know, this isn't religious liberty per se, but we swim in this uh, pond uh, and it's very easy to show that, that all of those that uh, uh, we're in the Continental Congress and that, that helped frame the Constitution and, and you know, Jefferson and Madison and so yeah. on. They, uh, the, the, they really didn't expect, even though there were factions early on, political parties. They'd look to England, the Whigs and the Tories, yeah. and they knew that that was a problem. And so, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the Electoral College. That's not premised on parties. The, elect- the Constitution right. says the winner of the, of the, uh, of the ballots from each state. Never says anything about anyone voting for the president, but each state appoints electors, and when they come and they're pledged on the, by their state toward this or that candidate, the winner is the president, the runner-up is the vice president. Already we're skewed from the Constitution. Yeah. It wasn't premised on parties. Yeah, yeah. Now, and used, so party factionalism like is destroying the US. And, and for Seventh-day Adventists, I, I think I mentioned it to you in the prep area, we were advised early on, because there was a huge debate at the time of the uh, uh, rapid formation of the, United, uh, of the uh, Seventh Adventist Church, there was a huge b- debate of whether we would be on the gold or the silver standard, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. divided along party lines. Yeah. And there were pastors getting up and holding forth, we should be silver, we should be gold. And, and uh, the co-founder of our church, Ellen White, was very definitive. She says, any pastor or teacher that's involved in party politics should resign or be fired. And I listen to the news media all the time and I hear politicians particularly saying, I'm not being uh, political on this. Well, they are a political they're, animal. What they mean is I'm not being partisan, partisan on this. Sure. And the partisanship in the US is extreme. Yeah. No, it, ha- it has. You've noticed that. We've all noticed that. John Glenn wrote in his autobiography that when he came into the Senate, there was a real collegiality. I think it was in the mid-70s. Real collegiality. We had differences of opinion, but we'd, yeah. we'd have a beer together and we'd eat dinner together and we were friends. He said, by the time we left, he left in 1999, he said it was all, all different. Yeah. And now, now it's... Um, now, I don't believe we're on the, the verge of a civil war, but on the verge of the civil war, there were fights in, in, I think it was the Senate, and one senator beat another senator senseless with his uh, yeah. metal-tipped cane, and he yeah. died later. That's right. That's how bad it can get. That's right. Yeah, uh, it's not likely to get there because we're, we're so civilized well, now. Well, we, we're divided. You know, it's that's it. I think north that's and the south, point. Very divided. Uh, they were two separate areas. But now when you've just got a mix and there's a, 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 you know, complaints on every hand, how would you form up into two sides? Yeah, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah. But I believe we're at the point, we're already we're seeing it, where civil insurrection is on the rise. I want to ask you this question so that I don't forget, even though but we're really, really getting People are forgetting the basic liberty. I'll go with it. Religious okay, liberty. Yeah, yeah. What can Protestantism do? to regain its rightful 
It's rightful place. You can define what it, that however you want. It needs to start protesting again. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no question that, you know, in, 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 there's, there's collegiality in many areas of the world, you know, in spite of the, the uh, trade war with China and so on. Much of the world now is a global village, to yeah. borrow a term. And, and I think religion and some of our own religious liberty leaders travel internationally doing this. Religion sort of has a, a, a nodding relationship with other religious leaders and, and they're talking a lot. But not anxious to offend, I think they've allowed the, the uh, unwarranted rise of Rome in its worst aspects, the claims of Rome to be the, the uh, dominant, in fact, the singular religious power. Explain what you mean by that. Well, I'll go back to one example that people don't seem to even notice now. There was a great schism in Christianity, not between Protestants and Catholics, but initially between Eastern Orthodox and the Church of Rome. And the issue that they most split on was they would not recognize the claim of the Pope of Rome or the Bishop of Rome to be God's anointed and the singular authority on all things, uh, you know, on church matters, you know, having the keys of heaven and hell, which is not the way that they execute it. And I think we've allowed, because, and I speak of this in Liberty Magazine often, I'm not against Catholics, wonderful Catholics, and I think, as I said earlier, there's a breath of fresh air running through it. But in rising to dominance again, Rome is presenting us with the ultimate threat that America was established to defeat. A church playing a government and a government that is a church. Mm-hmm. It's You know, we're seeking church-state separation, but here is a church and a state one. Yes, that's been tried before. And if you look into the Bible, you'll see in the book of Revelation, it says that something very much like that is going to be tried again. And the results are not going to be pretty. I'll have more with my special guest, Lincoln Steed, the editor of Liberty Magazine, and our conversation in just a moment. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800-253-3000, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. What does the Bible say about astrology? Why do bad things happen to good people? What color is Jesus? If you have a question, we'd love to find an answer for you from the Bible. Line up online from It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations. My guest is Lincoln Steed, the editor of Liberty Magazine, which has been in existence since 1906 and then before that since 1880. So you stand yeah, on the we'll shoulders. Go to the end of time. Yeah, you stand on the shoulders <laughs> of some of some, some giants, really. Let me come back before you, uh, to where we were before. You mentioned about people today less interested in religious freedom, more interested in religious entitlement. How are we well, seeing that? The, the, the groups, not most people are not interested in religion. Right. But, but the, the, the Christian or the moral majority or the religious right, there's different ways. And they're all misleadingly uh, general because there's exceptions. But there's no question there's a movement that calls itself the moral majority. 
And uh, I saw how they started off. They really wanted to rally. It's the way all revolutionaries start. They believed that there was a, a, a hidden moral majority that if they just rose up, they could retake this country for God uh, and then the country would be strengthened. They always had a, a fuzzy understanding of separation of church and state, but they had a good inclination to sort of just uh, raise the moral tenor of the society. But it turned out that they were not the majority. Right. Uh, so then they entered uh, pressure politics and they used to have voting lists that would pass out to their members sure. telling them how to vote. They would keep track of every vote that the politician made, which I think is, is, is not good for freedom and no, it's certainly it's, not good to church people. And it's but, inaccurate as well. But uh, then they, they started making political alliances and finally with the present president until the election, uh, President Trump, you know... He, he has certain warts and so on, but all secular oh, they all leaders do. do. But yeah. uh, he decided that it was in his interest to cooperate with the religious right. They decided, since they now had the favoured spot with this new Constantine, <laughs> that uh, no matter his secular bona fides, if he would do what they want, they're with him all the way. Yeah. And so they've crossed the Rubicon. I put metaphors in on purpose. They've crossed the Rubicon to really grasping political power directly. Yeah. And, and like most, I was thinking of the quote this morning, and C.S. Lewis said that he can think of no uh, disappointment greater than the revolutionary who had killed people and done horrible things, all in, the, uh, uh, in pursuing an ideal of freedom and you know, a, a great society. And when they see Christ coming, they realize how futile it was. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be the same with some of these I hope, well-intentioned Christians, but they've taken a wrong method, direct political power, it always goes wrong. And already we've seen how they've subverted their own Christian goals. They're working with someone who in other times is doing things antithetical to religion, but what they're getting is an entitlement. They are getting certain privileges granted, certain, uh, it's not just people on the Supreme Court and so on. I'm I'm not overly... uh, uh, consumed by how you load the court or whatever. People forget that, that, that these justices are, 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 are trained judges, lawyers, That's right. and they have lifetime tenure. When they get on there, there's very little correspondence between how they act there and, and the faction that puts them on. Yeah, but we've, but we've they're, seen they're that. doing everything possible uh, to, to really subvert the Constitution, if you like, to get this to be a Christian nation again. Let me, let me mention this, though, Lincoln. You, you've got, say, so President Trump and the religious right, the religious conservatives are pretty cosy. But this is not the first time we've seen that, nor will it be the last. So watching this right now, either, either, either Trump or Biden, President Trump or Vice President Biden is now the president. Would you expect whoever's going to be, whoever's the president now, to act any differently, they all kiss up to religious groups so that they get a faction on their side. It's called vote gathering. Well, this is a little more extraordinary. But I don't know which way the election will go, and it's no. not given for you or me to call it That's either. Right. That's I mean, right. Religious liberty is a constant, and we will work with, with whoever is, is the ruling party or the, the president in this case. Uh, but I can see two paths Sounds like Robert Frost is. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I can see two, two paths uh, out of this, one with one party and one with the other. If uh, there's, there's a second term for President uh, uh, Trump, very strong likelihood that something arbitrary and sudden will take place on, on enforcing religious viewpoints. You know, we, we've read a certain prophetic utterance given to Adventists that it will be a succession 
of natural calamities that will lead people to clamour to re-Christianise and bring sure. God back into our society. In fact, that's not even wrong. I wish it had happened already. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, but now that but, being the but case, people it that don't know present. the Constitution and people that don't understand the separation of church and state and, and people that think that we're a majoritarian country will quickly clamour for sort of a, a quick fix on religion, and that's likely to include some sort of enforced worship because we've been there. Liberty Magazine was begun, or at least its precursor was begun, when there was a national attempt to have a Sunday law in the United States. Sure. I've read that. It's online still. It says unambiguously, you're to cease all activity under pain of law to attend church. Uh, so the idea in, in the that, land of the free. Right. Yeah. The idea that that can't appear is silly. And, and, and I think we're on the verge of people out of desperation. Not much else works. And this administration, more than any I've seen, is quite willing to buck precedents. Uh, if they can't get a legislative uh, solution, then it'll be some sort of executive order and it's done. But you don't think another administration will be any different, do you? If it's the other party, uh, they correctly are more sensitive to, quote, science, because the science is very plain, regardless of what's causing it. We're in a period of climate dislocation. I mean, you have to be a fool to deny that. I've travelled the world enough to see. Everywhere you go, there's a disaster of the climate and a drought or a flood or whatever. It's, yeah. it's endemic. But, but you uh, think one, now, one party would be more likely to lower the boom religiously than another? It seems to me that well, I'll given, tell you, I given the right how circumstances... The, how the, the Democrats will link. Yeah, given the uh, circumstances, they have a nat- anyone will They've do said it, it on the, their... And it's a good thing that they will join the... the uh, uh, the, the, the protocols, was it uh, Kyoto Protocol? Kyoto, yeah. Protocols on, on uh, the environment. The Pope of Rome has a very good proposal that has been quite unanimously, except for the US, accepted that to save the environment, and as he puts it in a document, our entire uh, future as the hu- humanity is at, is at stake, and we must save the world. And he says that in saving it, we need to discover again the rhythms inscribed in nature. And sure. he says, along those lines, the Seventh-day Sabbath. Well, as the Seventh-day Adventist, wow. But as you'd expect, he's true to his uh, belief system. And he sure. says, that's the Eucharistic Sunday. Yeah. So if, if, if the Democrats, as I would automatically expect them to do, link with this global plan and along for it, and then people start clamoring for religiosity... I think it's just a, a, a short circuit through to, to some sort of legislated worship. If not of Sunday, then, uh, uh, you know, confirming that we're a Christian nation, which we're not, and, 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 and laying out certain uh, protocols of religious practice. What has COVID-19 taught us well, it's about taught religious me, liberty as we look forward? It's taught me what I already half knew, that, that the norms that we have are very... Uh, Illusory. Yeah, they're Things can change in a moment. Change in a moment. Uh, I don't believe there's any forethought in this country. In fact, little forethought on anything, <laughs> how to treat it or, or how to react to liberties. But it showed how quickly religion could fail to pass muster as an essential service. Yeah. That's the root problem here. Very interesting. And, and with that uh, choice made badly, in certain areas... For example, in California, the, uh, the governor, I don't think, is very sympathetic to Christian prerogatives. The bars can open, but churches cannot. So, uh, uh, yeah, since some churches uh, persist in opening, it's, I don't think it's direct persecution, but it's prejudice from a point not seeing that it's necessary. So, and, but it's, on the other side, I am very troubled, even of our own church, how many, in many cases, we just sort of faded back and went, went back into our... Uh, 
I was going to say a hutches almost. What really surprises me, if there have been churches, even Adventist churches, that, that were closed, and so by order of the state and whatnot, they've respected that, and, and I think that's probably smarter than rebellion, uh, given the circumstances, but haven't even met online. Some churches have just, have just keeled over. Well, it's a they matter of conscience, but it's, months. but it's a general phenomenon. It's not even just our church. Uh, most churches just faded back. And I remember um, uh, the, the chief ethicist for the Southern Baptist was on uh, uh, public uh, radio recently talking about this. And he, he said, admitted that there was a membership drop off even a little before this. But with the COVID, it's just people vanished. Yeah. And will they come back later? It's a big Not question. all of them, probably. All denominations are wondering that. Because yeah. if, if, if people can survive six months without, without church, maybe they can survive a whole lot longer. Now, the question is, you're not advocating that when the governor of State X had closed the door, they should have opened them in rebellion, are you? Not necessarily, but we should have thought a bit about it. Yeah. And uh, we should earlier on have challenged uh, the determination that churches were not essential. Remember, while uh, political... Uh, uh, demonstrations have been allowed. Uh, certainly supermarkets and other, uh, I think even pawn shops were allowed to, P-A-W-N shops right. were allowed to operate. Churches were not seen as essential services. Yeah. Uh, so the, the danger was clearly no greater than some of these things. And if it was seen as essential for people's spiritual and mental well-being, why wouldn't it have been open? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you need to keep social distance and wear masks. I think that's sort of ground zero. That's just common sense. Uh, but no, I, I think we should have, uh, probably legally, we should have challenged it immediately because a precedent is being set. Absolutely. And I, this is what I've learned from religious liberty and dealing with the lawyers, some of the things I'm not so keen on. But they're right. Um, much of law is precedent. And, and precedent once set is hard to undo. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When a real test comes, and by the way, I, I, <laughs> I always take my life in my own hands when I say this because I don't want to be mis- misunderstood. COVID's a pretty small problem. No disrespect intended to the people who've been so terribly affected. But what I mean is this. If you want to avoid it, you can. Just stay home. I mean, the fix is pretty brutal, but just stay home and have nothing to do with no one. I spoke to a lady the other day and she said, I'm getting tired of looking at my four walls, but I'm doing okay. I'm going to be well. But we are coming to a time when there's going to be a challenge you cannot avoid. Stay home, you can't avoid it. Wear a mask, you can't avoid it. Well, there's if more, we there are it, more of these things coming. Roll over uh, and die now. We know, I, I, we know what's a, happening in the future. I bought a 1985, I think it is, report in the used bookstore on, on uh, Ebola and the other uh, things. And, and it says at the end, we're losing the battle yeah. the, because of global climate change and change demographics of settlement. And that These things are lining up to come our way. Like right at the moment in the Middle East, they have um, uh, MERS, which is uh, camel flu, mm. 40% mortality rate. Yeah, that's not good. Don't want that to get on a plane. No, no, you don't. Uh, but that, that's just one out of the blue, just to show you how bad they can be. There are many, many coming. And I, I, I was a bit bemused in a debate recently. Uh, uh, the uh, SARS was brought up as, as a charge against another administration. Not many people died of SARS. But I remember at that time, the experts feared that as many as 5 million people would die. And you can go online and still see caches of coffins sure. in Atlanta and other places. That's clearly what was going on. Those in the know are fearful of a horrible series of pandemics that are coming. It's inevitable. So, yeah. yes, we better decide what we're going to do. You think something like that, we're not making a prediction, but that type of thing could directly affect religious liberty? Of course. Uh, 
the Bible is very plain that we will have to fulfill our gospel charter, gospel commission in a time of uh, horrible troubles. Jesus said, lest those days be shortened, yeah. no flesh will survive. Yeah. Horrible times. And yes, we can't be foolish now, but there's always threats. Uh, uh, and statistically, this is not as great as, uh, as, as some of the other threats in life. Like I, at the beginning of this, I said, if you know, you went to the doctor and he says, well, you've got such and such cancer, you know, you could die from it. He says, good news, you know, this is a 98% cure rate. You say, thank you, God. You know? That's right. Well, obviously, if, if, you, if someone's dying of, of, of COVID, that's the end of the world for them and, sure. and the catastrophe or catastrophes for their family. But this is not statistically anything near some of the pandemics of the past. Mm-hmm. The Black Death in Europe. One third. A, a third to a half of yeah. Europe. That's right. Uh, and in pretty quick order too, and not mm-hmm. one phase. There were cycles of these things as yep. we we're now about to experience with COVID. I don't count it uh, a minor thing. I wear the mask. I'm careful. But you can't stop doing what you're called to do. And right. if we're called to give the gospel commission, and remember Jesus ministered to the lepers. He could have got leprosy right. in theory. Uh, you know, we've got to reach out. We have to go and dare. You know, I, I, I was brought up on the song, dare to be a Daniel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the lion's mm-hmm, den, mm-hmm. you know, lion will eat you. Yeah. But yet, as, as Pilgrim's Progress pointed out very pl- clearly, the lions were chained. Yes. God says they're not going to come near you. We don't have long, but I want to just do some little rapid fire things here. It's looking into the future. Uh, the big issues. Are there two or three big issues that you see uh, that there are storms brewing on the horizon in terms of religious liberty? The big issue for Adventists is indeed all people that call on the name of Christ is they need to get serious. We need a revival. And by my take, that's the element that's been missing in the past because in my lifetime, we've come around to the apparent end of all things and then we've circled again and we come around again. Yep, yep, yep. Each time the, the stakes become higher, but what's missing is, is the loud cry, to and, use a, uh, an Adventist term. And this is the question that I really want to ask The rain, you. to use the Bible term. Yeah, I want the, and this is where I was going after. So what's on the horizon? The message for God's people, therefore, is to... Well, the message that I tell... I was at an Adventist uh, seminar a few years ago, well, about two years ago now, and, and a fellow in the front seat, middle-aged guy, he put his hand up and he says, tell us when we should be afraid... Oh, come on. And I said, never. That's right. This is, it says, when you see these things, things take pl- place, lift, lift up, up your, your heads head, because your redemption up. draweth That's not. right. That's and my news. father, I used to call him up, probably to impress him with some of these things. He only had one answer. He would say, isn't it exciting? He said, the Lord's about to come. That's right. And, uh, you know, Adventists even were roiled a few years ago, the idea that in the time of trouble, they'd have to stand without a mediator. They don't need a mediator. If God is on your side, who could be against you? Right. God's promised to protect his people, not from all uh, realities. Cause and effect still applies. But just as in Egypt, when the plagues fell early on, they suffered with a few things, but as it sharpened, God protected his people from That's those right. things. That's right. And we need to understand that. But we can't imagine that we can just ignore it. There's a statement, I don't know the reference, but I remember reading in, in Ellen White's writings once, and it was an interesting take on Elijah, because the people answered Elijah, not a word when he mm-hmm. challenged them, remember? Sure. And she says that God regards indifference in a time of crisis as rebellion. So we, we have an obligation if it means anything to us now. And you, you're not saved or lost by some of these deeper understandings, even of religious liberty or, or, or the, you know, prophetic interpretation of days, but you could, you could be lost because you don't know it. That's, that's for sure. But 
Yes, if you don't understand these, these realities of what is true faith and you know, what God expects from us now, you'll be hived off quickly onto a false revival or a false concept of church state. Uh, that's how you can be lost. So it's yeah. very important. And, if, and you cannot think, in, whether it's in the church or in politics, that you can sit back and let other people do it. I believe this is the time for action. Yeah. This is not the time for the church to be closing down all of its entities. This is the time to be pouring funds in because, again, this is, you know, this is something I have a burden on in the U.S. at the moment. I do not know from what I – and I studied economics in, in, uh, in college. I had econo- macroeconomics, microeconomics, sure. and I took cost accounting as well. There's no logical reason that the monetary system continues now. They gave away $3 trillion that, that we don't have. The, the total influx of, uh, from all sources for the U.S. government in a year is only $3.3 trillion. So sooner or later, and probably sooner, we're going to have massive inflation. And there was a warning given to early Adventists that if we fail to give our funds, we'll, one day we'll throw it at the church and it'll be worthless. It'll be worth nothing. I, I had a talk uh, at one of our religious liberty conventions to uh, s- some workers from Zimbabwe. And, and, you know, they had inflation that was mind-boggling. And That's they right. said they only survived because uh, friends from outside the country gave them food and brown paper bags. But I, I remember one economist was giving a lecture on it. And, he, and as an example, he handed out to each participant a uh, $1 Zimbabwe note and a $20 trillion note. $20 trillion. Yeah, you And he said those notes were issued the same year. Things can change really quickly. So what, is, what, is, what are we told? A rapid work, well, a short work right. I will make of it. That's right. Final movements will be rapid but ones. But liberty is to be proclaimed from the housetops Absolutely. until that moment. Thanks for what you're doing. Liberty's a wonderful magazine. We Thank wish you, you continued success. And it's a pleasure to talk with you about Always this. Always good. Too much to say. We'll have to do this again sometime. <laughs> Anytime. It's been wonderful to have Lincoln Steed from Liberty Magazine here. And I want to encourage you to get Liberty Magazine if you're not getting it. Go to libertymagazine.org, libertymagazine.org. That's where you can subscribe to receive what's an excellent publication. It'd be good for you to read it and to share with somebody else. Thanks for being part of this. With Lincoln Steed, I'm John Bradshaw. This has been our conversation. Mm -hmm. 